You are now listening to Tough Gages Podcast. Welcome back to the Talk Your Jits podcast. This podcast is, as the name implies, all about jiu-jitsu. I'm your host, Lamar Smith, and today's guest is a fifth-degree black belt who trains in Rush MMA located in Bernardsville, New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Rossiti. Thank you, Lamar. Great to be here. Man, the pleasure is all mine, sir. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, thanks. And you? Pretty good, man. Tired, had a Good training dated uh, earlier today, so a little beat up, but I'm, I'm here. Nice. All right. Well, first and foremost, I would like to thank you again for coming on to do a, a episode to, with me today. Greatly appreciate it, sir. Sure. It's my pleasure. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get the ball rolling. If you want to formally introduce yourself again, by all means, and let's hear about your jujitsu journey. Okay. My name is Richard Rossidi. I'm a fifth-degree black belt under Professor Joe Moreira. I've been training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for, I honestly can't remember how many years now, but my introduction was when Rodrigo Gracie stopped in my martial arts school to take a couple of um, Muay Thai sessions with me for an upcoming pride fight. And afterwards, he asked me if I wanted to roll. And I said, sure, why not? And I did, and he tapped me again and again and again and again i think the count was up in the 70s because i kept saying i kept saying let's do it again let's do it again thinking i could figure this out you know because mm-hmm. i rolled with a blue belt once and he pulled me into his garden i kind of jumped up and walked right over him like in a boston crab but this was how do we go gracie so nothing i did worked and um at that time, I already been through point martial arts, American style kickboxing with the really metallic, cool looking pants and Muay Thai. So it's not like I was looking for anything else. And at that point, you had to convince me. I didn't have mm-hmm. to see it. I needed to feel it. And I felt it. And I was convinced. So I started taking private lessons with Sean Alvarez, who was the first instructor out in Abu Dhabi, I believe with Nelson Montero. So I was driving all the way to White Plains, New York, and taking classes with Sean privately while he was getting ready for his UFC, UFC fight against, it was Cabbage at the time, who was a BJ Penn guy. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> Sean got an offer at some point from the Sheik of Abu Dhabi to move to Mexico and pretty much watch a hotel being built and kind of oversee it. So you're not going to turn that kind of opportunity or money down Sean spoke Spanish already, so it seemed like a good fit. And then from there, we worked with his, at the time, purple belt, Jojo Guarin, who's an extremely talented uh, jiu-jitsu guy. We trained with Jojo for a few years. He would come train our class one day a week, and I, I took over teaching the other days. And then Jojo opened up his own academy, and I didn't know what to do or where to go. And I called Sean Alvarez and he suggested I give Carlos Gracie a call. I'm like, yeah, sure. Just, hey, Carlos, Richard, remember me at the seminar? I brought that, I bought that black gee from you. You remember me. I'm thinking that's going to be a dead end road. And I really didn't want to do the IBJJF Gracie Baja route. I kind of like more of an independent 
type of music, independent artists, and independent martial arts instructors. I had already been through the Korean thing, the Japanese thing. I've been treated like a second-class citizen by a ton of different martial artists. I didn't want to go through it under a Brazilian instructor either. I'm a grown mm -hmm. man. I, I, I've been fighting a long time. So one of my closest friends, Hideki Frazier in California, who is now a seventh-degree black belt under Professor Moreira, introduced me to him. We spoke on the phone. I flew out to California, but then I was a brown belt. I was like a brown belt with no home. I couldn't go mm -hmm. up anymore. I couldn't go sideways. And I didn't want to be one of those self-proclaimed guys that just gives myself a black belt that comes back to haunt you. So yeah. I contacted Professor Moreira. I went to California. Then he came out by me, we trained for a while. He finally tested me. And I got my black belt under him. And um, I've been with him ever since. I can't imagine being with anybody else, as a matter of fact. I, I just love the way he formulates his jujitsu. And I know a lot of schools may or may not teach his principles, but I did. I did my mm -hmm. own stuff, too. But the principles work, man. They just do, especially for older grapplers. When I was a younger grappler, I moved as fast as I wanted to. Now that I'm older... I move as fast as I have to. There's a big mm -hmm. difference. Big difference, yes. Yes, and he is, um, besides being a phenomenal martial artist, he's also like a sweet human being. You yeah. know, I like the Brazilian culture. Where everything is a hug and a kiss, whereas in Japanese and Korea, it's more formal. And I, mean, I was bound to guys who own 7-Elevens. I was bound to guys who own drinks just because they were Korean or Japanese. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. I'm like, half you guys can't even do what I can do. So mm. when I got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I like the fact that it's more um, back when I started training for you to go to purple belt, you had to be able to beat all the blue belts and go to the next rank up. I kind of like that because you have to be able to do it. I think it's mm -hmm. adorable when I see a four-year-old gets his black belt in Taekwondo. That's just great. He's still in a pair of huggies and you gave him a black belt. Or 89-year-old woman earns her black belt. Again, really, really cute, adorable. But seriously, I mean, I live in Florida. There's tons of 89-year-old people here. I wouldn't give any of them black belt. Sorry. And it's the thing <laughs> with these other arts, it's a matter of what well, he's trying. You're trying. Mm -hmm. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is not about that. You either can or you can't. Right. And that's what I like about it. You have to admit, when you tap because somebody has you in a lock, you're acknowledging that they were right at that particular moment and you were wrong. And mm -hmm. you can do that and go on and continue to train and do more. Whereas these other things, they stop and that's it. Well, you, you, you hit me in the face, you knock me out, you scored a point, and it's over. Imagine if kickboxing matches went on after a knockout. Let's do it again. BJJ's <laughs> You get to do that. Right. For sure, for sure, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. As you as you know, we're under uh, we're under Master Joe uh, Moera as well. My instructor is one of his, uh, you know, Michigan black belts, and Good. I got the opportunity to meet Joe. Uh, I think I was like maybe a few months in. I think I was like maybe like my first or second stripe when uh, on my white belt when my instructor got his black belt. So. I've I've, you know, I've I've heard about the name Joe Moera from you know UFC and whatnot, and when I finally got to got to meet him, it was it was 
a, a culture shock, you know, because I've never met anyone of his caliber, let alone someone who's Brazilian. So um, when my instructor was, you know, talking about, he's like, yeah, my, you know, that's my master, Joe Mawera, blah, blah, blah. He's like, just to give you a fair warning, Joe taught himself English and it shows. So I was like, all right. And he always talked about like, you know, eventually you'll learn how to speak Joe. So I asked everybody this who, who's under Joe Mawera. So, I mean, you've you trained for a long time, but like how long did it take for you to speak and understand Joe? Um, having come from a culture where I had to understand the Koreans and the Japanese, my name is Rich Rasidi. Under mm -hmm. Master Bai, I was Lich, Lich Lasidi. I mean, the man never used preposition. Lich, what are you doing now? I'm like, what are you doing now? Do you take a course in broken English when you come here? Prepositions, pronouns. So I was used to it. Professor Marrera has a very, what I would call, thick accent. But I think if he was, if he was American, he would have that same accent. It's like listening to James Earl Jones talk. If he was mm -hmm. Japanese, you still hear James Earl Jones coming through. So Professor Marrera... You know, well, like he says guard. Pass the watch. Yeah, pass the watch. So <laughs> I've gotten better at understanding him like you and I are talking. I can see some enunciation. I can see your mouth moving. It's on the phone that I had problems where I would say, okay, all right, okay, I, okay, go ahead, hang on. I'm like, did I just book a seminar? Is he coming in November? <laughs> Is that this November? I'm like, what the hell did I just do? I just said, yes, sir. And usually I just say, okay, send me the details. And I'm like, oh, shit. I look at the details thinking, I'm having a seminar. I'm, like, he's coming, you know, like that. But um, he was, he's bet, he's easier for me. But what, one of the things I love about him is that he knows he's difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. I, watched, I watched an old school VHS with him and Chemo. And Chemo was doing all the talking. And when Professor Moreira spoke, it was like, all right, this is why chemo's doing all the talking. I could understand it. But now having been around him more, it's still a little bit difficult on the phone. So I asked him to kind of verify things with an email, a fax, you know, smoke signals, chain letters, <laughs> email, tattooed. So I make sure that, you know, I understand what we're doing here. Um, oh, but, yeah. Yeah, it was a little it was a little difficult. But the thing is, I mean, and I'm wondering myself, oh my God, like you go to places like Poland, Germany, how the hell do they understand? How do they understand even me? And it's jujitsu. It's jiu the language. I mean, he's shown me things where he didn't have to explain it. It was so obvious. Yeah, my effing arm is bent this far. I see how you got me there, you know, and it's um Listen, he put me out cold in a seminar once. He was demonstrating a choke, and I'm in his guard or guard, and <laughs> he's doing some kind of a different variation of an, of an X choke, and he has his knees against my chest, and it really didn't feel like anything. And the next thing you know, I'm embarrassed because I thought that I wasn't paying attention to him. He was talking. He's Richie, Richie. I'm like, oh. I'm, like, oh, I'm really sorry. I, I I lost my train of thought. No, I was unconscious in front of little kids. Yeah, he put oh, me no. <laughs> I mean, like, like this. And he's basically like my neck is going like that. He's going like that. And he's going like that. <laughs> after I came to consciousness, my student, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, let me just get up and walk around. And 
I was okay, but I was like, wow, I did not see that coming. That mm -hmm. was a sneaky little anaconda creep up on you kind of choke. Usually you can go, okay. There was none of that, man. I went from I went from happy to comatose in <laughs> a split second. And then even after that, I was apologetic because I thought I had like, you know, lost focus. And mm -hmm. I'm like, he was talking and I was maybe doing one of these things. But no, I was unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've had a, I've had the experience of um, experiencing a, uh, a a Joe Morris smash pass. Oh yeah. In the of a seminar and we were we were going over something and he was going for a um or a leaf frog or bulldog it's kind of the same and Joe he he's going to show the technique for you know 100% of the technique so yeah. I'm under him at this point and I can just feel everything just slowly doing like this oh, yeah. and right in the middle of him talking someone else asks him a question Oh yeah, I know those. He stops. <laughs> he stops in the middle of the crawl. All of his weight on you. Yeah, you're basically tasting your own spine through your chest, like you you feel internal organs, and he's on top of you. And and he, then he looks up to answer the question. He looks up, and the body gets pressed down even more. It's like this. You yeah, I know. And you're dying there on the bottom. You just want to kill the guy asking the question. <laughs> and I'm, I'm under him. I'm like, what do I do? I don't want to rush Joe. But at the same time, I'm slowly fading. And I can just feel like every time I try to take a deep breath, it just goes. Ugh. So yeah. I'm like, okay. Okay. And I just kind of like finally got my arm up and tapped him on the waist. Like, uh. <laughs> he's like, oh, oh, okay. Work. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Give me a minute yeah. to breathe here. But I think I got it. Well, I've been there where he's demonstrating. I mean, I'm very flexible from my mm -hmm. kickboxing days. So my legs, I can do a perfect split. But I'm not doing perfect split with somebody holding my leg this way and Joe Marrera on top of the other leg. That's a whole different feeling. And Man. the amount of pressure he's able to exert the amount of downward pressure. And a lot of times, you know, a lot of people don't understand that between horizontal pressure and vertical pressure. If I lay on top of you inside control chest to chest, that's one feeling. But if I put my rib cage on your rib cage on. on your chest, that's a complete different feeling. Your ribs oh, are yeah, not yeah. meant, you know, your ribs are meant to go compress front to back. It protects your heart and your lungs. Side to side, though, they don't move at all, which is why most people get ribs broken on their sides and not in the front. You know, obviously a mm -hmm. bone popping out of somebody's sternum. I mean, I have seen it, but it's not something that's often. So his, you know, even not, not his, but, you know, I call it Joe Marrera BJJ, and sometimes he gets mad. He goes, you know, it's not. It's just, it's just Brazilian jiu-jitsu the way it should be taught. Some people call it old school. And I watch him. I'm like, okay, could Professor Moreira do a really cute little barambolo move? Maybe, maybe not. But could he stop somebody trying to do it on him? I think absolutely. Of course. Moving him and all of that new wave jujitsu and all the crap like that that's going on in, you know, point. I'm not a big point jujitsu fan. That's like to me, it's like playing point karate. People started to call that a wimp thing. And well, there's full contact. Well, full contact to me in jujitsu was going for submissions. Mm -hmm. And now it's not even like, uh, how'd you win your match? I won negative one to zero. I'm like, you must be proud of that medal, huh? So you won zero to negative one because you fate sitting guard and he sat guard first. 
And that's your strategy for winning is knowing the rules so well that you can stay right on that razor sharp line and faking people into making mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not how real jujitsu matches start. You start, you high five, you stand up. And now people are like, I'm going to sit on my ass and butt scoot. Everybody was butt scoot fighting. Woo, those scoots were yeah. fast. Was like, I'm going to butt scoot near you. My dog does that when he needs his anal gland suppressed. And I'm going to watch you on a mat with a black belt sliding your ass across the mat, trying to scoot up to somebody. And then it's the other guy's obligation to engage you. Like you're, you're, you're scooting your ass on the floor. Why would I want to engage with you? I'm laughing at you most of the time. So like Chris told you, we're much more on the side of jujitsu that's practical in all aspects of self-defense. And being that I come from a a stand-up background and an executive protection background, um, being a bodyguard, training other bodyguards, there's certain things you just can't do in an altercation. And sitting on your ass is, is one of them. You know, you right, can't right. you can't grapple two guys at one time. Some people say they can. I know Brazilian jiu-jitsu is becoming what? big for law enforcement. But are you rolling onto your weapon side? You've got all this rigging on you. How are you mm-hmm. going to be pulling off things like arm bars? What about how can you hold on to your weapon? Weapon retention for law enforcement is number one. You and I are rolling on the ground. I'm doing a Kimura on you. What's your other arm doing? Is it reaching for my gun? So, you know, we'll do a lot of things differently in jujitsu. And Chris took over a school in New Jersey that was strictly a point-based system. And now they're learning how to, okay, your thing is not hitting people. I get it. You're a pacifist. You don't want to hit anybody. You love jujitsu. Jujitsu means gentle art. But you have to be able to stop other people from hitting you. Can you block punches? Mm Mm-hmm. What would you do if someone did have a knife? And now that I'm in Florida and every idiot in the world can carry a gun here, what would you do if somebody pulled a gun? Look what happened to someone like Leandro Lowe, really amazing mm. practitioner, and he got shot in the head over a bottle of beer? Yeah. Because when you, when you threaten another person or another man's ego and you hold him down, pin him down, you better be able to finish that. Because if you get up and walk away, you don't know what he has on him or what he's going to use. There's too many people who result to weapons and guns as a way of solving every argument out there. It's come with the go-to move. It's like you started DEFCON 5 with guns if you have them. So things like that are, are stuff that we work on a lot more than just going for points. I mean, if I'm going for submissions and I wind up winning on points, I'll take it. But it's not my goal. My goal is to make you submit, tap you. That's right. I like That's the, my favorite part of jiu-jitsu. Um, so, you know, my schools generally don't do a lot of competition, but when we do compete, we tend to do really, really well because we focus on the principles laid out by professor Marrera. And there's certain things that we do that are a little bit simpler. Uh, we've gone to a tournament. Our first tournament we went to, I bought 12 guys out of 12. We won 11 gold medals. Nice. Didn't win a gold medal. It was the last guy he went. He's like, well, I don't want to ruin the streak. I'm like, hey, you just kind of did, didn't you? Yeah, he's like, oh, crap. Don't say that, man. So he already gave me the excuse and he lost. Um, we're not really sure where he's buried, but you know, I'm sure he's doing well someplace. 
So, and the reason we won was all my guys did the same exact thing. One of my favorite positions in jujitsu is north-south. Well, everybody else is inside control, looking to get the mount, looking to attack arms. I'm going the other direction. I'm going for your head. I'm going for your neck. And mm -hmm. our, our um, particular top position in north-south is flat on our stomach. We are next to you on the side of you, not on top of you on all fours. I'm giving you zero room to move. And we'll put people in that position because everybody's always blocking the mount, blocking the mount. And it's a shorter distance right to the computer. Go to where he's breathing, go to where he's thinking, go to the most vulnerable part. He has to defend that north-south position with, with both hands. Mm -hmm. And that's to manipulate him because now all of my weight is on him. And one of the reasons I, I figured this out is because I'd gone to a tournament at one of Professor Moreira's tournaments, and he matched me up against one of his beasts. And I was pretty jacked. But this guy was mean, man. I would just got my black belt. And this guy looked like, you know, I'm like, oh, no. It was like real, like a mean, tough dude. So he, I, I, I seen everyone play it safe. Professor Mansour is there. Professor. I'm like, you know what? I'm the new guy. I'm going to go for like a really cool judo hip throw that I get all the time. Well, in my mind, it worked really well. But in reality, he kind of stepped around me. We ended up on the ground, on the mat, and he had me in north-south. And, dude, I could not get out of that to save my life. I'm like I'm like a baby whale going, flopping my arms, trying to go this way, that way. I didn't have the experience. And he managed to put his sternum right here on my mouth and my face. So I finally got out. Um, but he didn't win on anything. He didn't score any It was just... He just got the better position. So, of course, they raised his hand. I accepted that. I go back to my hotel room. I, my, I pulled down my lower lip. I had a hole in my under my lip, threw it to my jaw. Like, I can stick my pinky in it. I'm like, Ooh. yeah. I mean, literally a hole. He had grinded a hole into my entire gum line that it opened up. And I could literally stick my entire, like, my pinky in here where it's like up under here, I'm wiggling around in there. So I know it's in there now. Um, <sighs> I started to have a whole different respect for north-south position. I started working on it more and more where I was not going to be on all fours. I was going to be flat. I was going to have his arm against, you know, his body. I'm going to get that arm triangle type choke. I'm going to move my hand onto his hip so he can't move in. If he tries to turn me over, I switch to the other hip. And I just began working with my guys. We won every single match with that choke. No one could stop it because everybody else was heading south and my guys were heading north. So we still work on it constantly. I think it's one of the best moves out. And even now, since I started adapting a little bit more for my guys, I see a lot more variations on north-south too where I would actually sit through, which I did, but sit through and crank the guy's neck backward and throw my leg over his leg, almost a reverse north-south. So I think it's one of the least vulnerable positions to get reversed on. Okay, so you may get out if you're lucky, but where are you going to go from there? You don't have, you know, 
I'm not going to let you butt scoot or I'm not going to let you pull me into like a, you know, um, into like a butterfly guard or scoot underneath me because I'm never coming off my knees. I'm staying, mm -hmm. flat, I'm staying flat on my stomach. So we are not like this north south. We are like this. We are side by side. Whereas my head is right next to your head and I'm pushing my cranium into your head and I'm just going to make you the most miserable human being in the world until you have no choice but to tap. Wow. I've never, I've never really seen North South play like that. I don't see any reason to be on top position in North South and be on all fours. Mm -hmm. With Professor Moreira and side control, a lot of times I do what I call the professor. I do three types of side controls. One is the Professor Moreira, where you're on all fours, letting the guy do something so you can open him up for a counter. If you mm -hmm. smother the guy, you lock him down, you're going to have to loosen up your arms eventually to go for your submission or arm or whatever. So I like that. I also like the hip-to-hip -hip side control, kind of Rafael Lovato Jr. move, where if you're going to hip out, then my chest on your chest is not going to help me. But if you're going to hip out, I'm hip-to-hip -hip with you. My hip is where your hip goes, my hip goes. So mm -hmm. I'm actually almost on my hip. And the third one is twister, twister side control. I completely reverse everything in the other direction. And I have my head up against your head and my body and my shoulder is up against your arm and I'm pinching it into your head. It's miserable. And you can go right to the mount from there. You can go from a couple of different positions. So I like all three and I'll go from one to the other to the other. You know, if I'm in a Professor Morera, all fours, he pushes out. Maybe I'll sit through and go to the hip to hip. If he tries to push me back and then from hip to hip, I'm right there for north south. Because, again, most people are defending you're mounting them. Most people are defending you going for your submissions. I may go for a Kimura, the far side Kimura. And while I'm doing it, I'm just setting him up for my north south. I'm going to wrap my hand around his neck as soon as he starts to move from my arm. And then he's going to know, you know, he's going to have to fight out of it, not just get out of it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Like, like I said, I've never seen North South play like that. So I'm going to have to have to look into that for sure. Yeah. That's, I'll send that's you different. Some, that's really different. I'll send you some videotapes. I, I um, you know, again, it's a little bit different than, than side control where I may give the guy room in North South. I just want to, I want to smother you. And I want, you know, I want my sharpest parts of my body, my hip bone against your most vulnerable parts. Um, years ago, I trained some guys out in Pennsylvania at a school and those guys were like country boy crazy. And I showed one of them, the craziest one, it was a rugby player, how to do a, uh, how to do a cranial, a cranium lock. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what's that? And I showed, I did it on him. I said, put me in your guard. And I grabbed the back of his neck and I put the top of my head into his eye socket. And I'm like going like that. Like, da, da, da. So he does it in a tournament. And the other guy taps and gets up and starts screaming blood. What the F was that, man? You push it. And he's like, you tapped? You tapped. Yeah. But he'd never seen that type of move before where you're going for the orbit. Because I've, I've taken some catches, catch can seminars with guys like Tony Caccini and the catches, catch can wrestling type of moves, or the difference in some of them compared to jujitsu is a lot different. Where a key lock in BJJ, you're coming across under here, you've got the guy you're in like that. In catch, they're pushing it out to the side. So instead of your arm being like this, it's like this. 
Now yeah, try resisting a key lock when your arm is out here as opposed to in here. They push it out to the side, and they have a lot more brutal moves because back as you know, catch wrestling days in the early days, you had they call them hookers. You had to hook and break something because mm. you know in poor times if you and I are going to fight and like listen man, let's just go ahead and like mess around and make it a draw. We'll both get paid. Well, the audience doesn't like when you do that. They start to catch on. So the rules start to change to like, okay, you have to literally break an arm or break a finger. We want to see a bone coming through for one guy to be the winner. So a lot of the catch techniques came from, do you ever see the movie um, uh, Gangs of New York? Mm -hmm. Okay. Like the fit under the nose, in the lip, stuff like that. And it was all kind of legal in catch. So um, people like Carl Gotch brought it to Japan. You know, the Japanese revolution in wrestling came from us and they just perfected it. And the difference in Japan is no matter if you win or lose, the fans love you. Here in America, you lose one match and you're done. Of course, if you win yeah, one match, you're calling out the champion. You know, one day, I'm calling out so-and-so. It's my first match. Even though I'm amateur, my first card ever, I'm calling out the champ. I'm like, uh, here we go. <laughs> Everybody want that that fast that fast route to success. Well, you know, which is okay, but I mean, if I had to ask people why they first started getting in martial arts, it's usually because they wanted to be able to defend themselves. Then they'll say, "Well, against the average person." Well, the average person doesn't go around giving people a hard time. It's the right. more than average person. You have two types of people out there. There's a bad dude. And there's a guy having a bad day. They're two different personalities altogether. A bad dude is someone who's been in fights, been in prisons, hit people, doesn't care if he gets hit. That is not someone you want to run across. A bad day is the guy you cut him off on the highway and he's giving you the finger and he wants to pull over and bash your brains in because he has two kids in the back seat. Meanwhile, he leaves those two kids in the back seat to go and confront you on a highway. So if you do something to him, you can just take his kids anyway. So (laughs) when people are angry, they lose every sense of tactical thinking. And that happens often. And it's the same thing. So let's just say that argument does happen. You you really want your kids to see you butt scooting out of the side window when the guy's holding a gun? All right, put up your hands. Hold on. I'm going to butt scoot. (laughs) Let me sit down a second. The best chance you have is if the guy dies laughing just from watching you do something like that. So, you know, I mean, when you have jujitsu that starts on your knees all the time, they don't start standing up. The other guy's not trying to throw any punches ever. You get a false sense of confidence, and that will betray you when you need it the most. When someone's really going to throw down, and all of a sudden, you're going for certain techniques. And, like, my guys understand liability. It's very easy to go for a double leg takedown on somebody and have them smash their head on the cement, and now they're dead. So, mm-hmm. like, now you're in court. Every penny you have is being drained. Your family is being stressed out. And you can start all the GoFundMe pages you want, but they're going to want your ass in jail for killing somebody. So you can't always go for these takedowns and throw people on hard ground. I mean, you were yeah. responsible for what we do, unfortunately. So we do talk about justifiable force, even in our Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes. Mm-hmm. How come you wouldn't just throw the guy like that? Can you determine how he's going to land? If I was able to get the throw off and I had the capability, 
like a gun disarm. We teach a lot of gun disarms in Brazilian. Ones that don't flag you. I'll just take the gun like that. That's great. Now, when it goes off, that shell is going to come right up and hit you in the face and burn your nose. Um, and I've seen it happen. I did a gun disarm video maybe 25 years ago or longer. And Mike Swain, four-time Olympian, four-time judo legend, he did a judo disarm in a gun. And he brought the gun to here. And when the gun went off, the flash went up his face. And you have you ever smelt burning nose hairs? Mm -mm. It's not as good as I'm making it sound. It really isn't. <laughs> I mean, he got like this red Hitler burn on his face. You could smell oh, the no. nose hairs. And we had to like put makeup to redo it. But that is what would happen. So knowing where the weapon is pointing, you just can't do this stuff. Like, you know, you had the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu came out with the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu gun arms. When were they ever doing gun disarms? Like, how did you go from jujitsu to doing guns? And a lot of it came after 9-11 when everybody in the world, every Taekwondo instructor or whatever became, I'm a counterterrorism instructor. Like, really? Mm -hmm. Are you going to, what, round kick everybody in the face? That's what you're going to do? You jujitsu guys, I teach gun disarms. You're gonna, just going to scoot your butt up there and grab it? Just scoot up there under the radar? Little butt scoot and grab his gun? So it's kind of like, you know... People have a problem staying in their lanes sometimes. It's not enough that you've got your niche and corner on this, but you have to have it all. So mm -hmm. everything I teach, I practice, I train it. I look for the yeah. best people to train with. I'm not just all of a sudden offering a zillion different things because it's a new fad. Everybody wants to learn this, so I'm teaching it. And so, you know, I think that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I love it. I think it's the coolest stuff. Um, it's fun. It's casual. I like that my students don't have to walk on pins and needles because you mentioned about, you know, <clears throat> Professor Moreira. And I know you're trying to get me to do an impersonation. <laughs> right. I'll be just see me getting the phone call. Richie, you think you're funny, huh? You think you're funny, <laughs> boys? Richie, let me tell you something, okay, my friend? I'm going to come to you. I'm going to put you a choco so bad. Um, <laughs> You're going to die in my guard. You're going to have to order pizza from my guard. You're not going anywhere. So I'm not doing it. It's not happening, Lamar. Don't try to blow me into that. I, 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 I tried. I tried so hard, but I, I just couldn't do it. I'm sorry. smart for that. So, all right. Glad we got that out of the way. But, um, you know, I, I uh, it's funny. The first time, it's, it, you know... I got some good stories with him, some funny ones. Once I checked him into a hotel room in Pennsylvania and we're getting checked in and there's two guys standing right by the door next to him and they're smoking weed. And he just walks right, kind of makes a face. I'm like, look, I'm sure he knows what it smells like and everything. And so as we're walking out, I say, hey guys, can you do me a favor? Could you kind of like blow it, the smoke in the other direction? I go, I just checked my friend in and he's, he's not into that. And, of course, the one guy has got to say something stupid to me. He's like, mm -hmm. how are we going to blow it in the other direction? The wind's going this way. I'm like, well, you could always walk on the other side of his door so it goes beyond. Like, why am I explaining wind to you? Right. Um, so they were kind of migrant workers staying, and there was two of them, and they kind of gave me a look. And I said, please. I go, you know, the guy next door? And I said, yeah. I give a see the UFC? Like the ultra, yeah, I go. He's one of the legends. I go, you don't want to get him angry. 
I go, all I'm telling, I said, just, just, just do me a favor. You know, that was it. So, uh, you know, he really appreciated that. But um, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's the, he's the guy that I was astray, you know, and he took me in. And that's something that I'll always appreciate. And he not only did he take me in, he's always treated me like a friend first. I'm about a year older than him, so we're like the same age. Uh, he watched me teach Muay Thai or boxing drills, and I'm very big on hitting on the same side I'm hit on. So if you hit me here, you're getting hit here. You hit me here, you're hitting here, giving three to one. You kick me on this. I always punch you or kick you on the same side you're kicking me on because you have to retract it. I don't block here and punch here. Bang, 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 bang. And he liked that concept. He's watching me teach. And so, you know, he recognizes my strengths. And as far as jujitsu goes, I recognize that when I roll with him, I'm like a two-year-old. Mm -hmm. It's like your father's playing Superman and holding, Wee, come on, you Superman. I mean, I realize that I'm grappling literally with a pair of huggies on, you know, because he's going to do whatever he wants. And every time yeah. I... And every time I have an answer, he's got an answer to the answer. You know, it's it's just really tough to get over on him. And I, I think I, I don't know if it's true, but I read a story where he had a prison in Brazil maybe ten years ago, and they matched him up with some new hot guy or something like that. And he beat the guy, submitted him, but he wasn't ready to compete. You know, I mean, he's he, but he, his. His jiu-jitsu was solid. I watched the match between him and Hickson, and it was a relatively even match. I don't know. Hickson won, but, um, you know, it, it was interesting to watch some of that old footage and mm -hmm. watching him in the UFCs or, you know, watching some of his jiu-jitsu matches going back and see his personal development in jiu-jitsu from yeah. you know, when he first started, too. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, like I said, just seeing from where he started to like now and he's still evolving. You know, his yep. game is forever changing. Like we get so many videos uh, you know, sent to us where he's, you know, changing something about the snakes or changing this and changing that. And, you know, it was like when I first started uh training jujitsu, it was like, okay, we had nine snakes. It turned to twelve, and I think I forgot who I talked to. Um Another Joe Black Belt. He's like, yeah, we're up to like twenty three different snakes. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, I'm like, we we don't we don't we don't know these yet because I and I know for a fact that once Joe comes back, we we we're gonna have to know him. He hasn't taught us yet, but we're gonna have yeah. to know him. I mean, the thing with him is, you know, the thing with him is that he realizes a lot of people when he goes into seminars that they're not doing his thing for the time he's there that he knows that that they're doing their own thing because jujitsu is an art and everybody wants it people want the latest and greatest but i mean how many i heard it was like 25 no i i, I talked to joe I'm jr i'm lucky i know nine i mean just thinking <laughs> off the top of my head because even when he talks about his one two three four five there's like three different one two three four fives the one is okay one is over the front, the two is here, three, four, five. Right. Then he's talking yep. like, and this is one, like, wait, there's another one? There's a one for this over here? And I spoke to my friend Hideki Frazier, who's been with him a long time, and he said, he goes, listen, dude, I've been with him, it's my dog. I've been with him. All right, Homer. Come on, boy. I've been with him forever. He goes, and I still 
maybe know 10% of what he's teaching me. And he's like a seventh degree, but he's got so much information. And just when you think, I mean, I love his choke series. Just when I thought I saw all the different ways he can do a choke, he's showing me, and it's not that he's remembering it. It's just, you know, he's picking it up. And students yeah. asked me from the beginning, how do I remember all of this stuff? I said, don't even try. Don't try. I don't remember. Don't try. Remember what you like the best. And since mm -hmm. it's a martial art, what you like the best should be what works. When you say to me, mm -hmm. well, my favorite move is this. I'm like, I've literally never seen you pull that off once. Why would I possibly be your favorite move? Your favorite move is in the 85 percentile and up submission rate. Not the one mm -hmm. that you suck at, but you still like it. That should not be your favorite move. Make it your favorite move by getting better at it. But right. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly remembering things that I did six, seven, eight years ago, 15 years ago. And a lot of guys are out there looking online, you know, learn it on Monday, teach it on Tuesday, which is not a bad idea. Because once you're at a certain rank in jujitsu, you, you're learning how to learn. You're focusing yeah. on how to focus. When you're getting someone teaching a move and you're watching it, you're better today than you were as a white belt at picking up the nuances. Mm -hmm. And have you ever played a game called jujitsu chess? Yes. Yes. Jujitsu chess to me is a prime example of slowing down your game. Because if you can't see it slow, there's no way you're going to see it fast. Yeah. So slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. So one move per person. And ultimately, somebody will still be able to get a submission. And that's how it ends. So we're mm -hmm. training one move. We're not you know, defending them. And it helps you to put together your, your flow, the way you personally move around another human being. How easy yeah. to guide around them and over them. Are you keeping your weight constant? Do you know between vertical pressure, horizontal pressure? I mean, I sucked at math in high school. Geometry, uh, that's a circle, that's a triangle, that's a square. Anything other than that, don't confuse me. But if I had to explain geometry in a sense of, of when jujitsu, horizontal planes, vertical planes, different types of pressures, different types of movements that keep you on top of another person. That's, mm -hmm. that's exciting to me. And I understand it, you know, kind of like my math was not there. I could count money like that, but anything else I'm like, Richard, what's one apple plus two apples with what's 1,400. Like I got that. So the money thing I got, and I can still do that. I can add money in my head as long as it's money, but anything else, I'm like, I'm lost. So I would often, <laughs> I went to an Eric Paulson seminar once out of Kyoto, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Long Island when it was owned by Grandmaster Masur, and he was teaching Grandmaster at the Eric Paulson seminar. <clears throat> Great seminar. I have to always bring somebody with me because they could remember everything because I can't remember shit after a seminar. So I started writing down notes. Well, you've been to a seminar, you're sweating like a dog. Look at your notes after. It's like a prison letter. It's got like <laughs> sweat all over it. All the letters are blurred. I can't even tell for life me what I wrote. So I would bring one of my students, Sam, who would constantly be able to remember. No, it was like that. Like, okay, cool. Thank you. And mm -hmm. he expected me as the instructor to be good at all that stuff. And like, I'm not. Same thing with people come in my school to join. We just finished an MMA training session. I've got bruises, a black eye, and I'm bleeding. Someone comes in for Hi, can I be just, hi, I'm the instructor. The guy's like, 
God, you suck. Look at your face, man. Is there a better instructor here? Is there someone that doesn't get hit so much? And I mix up with my guys. So, of course, I'm getting bruised up and scratched up and everything. But I can tell when people came in, they're like, is there another instructor? Are you the, like, are you mm-hmm. the, you like the slow instructor or something? You know, are you the guy they just keep around in the gym, like in a boxing gym? The guy who sits in the corner can barely talk anymore. Hey, let's go there. You're like, that guy, like, are you him? I'm the teacher. <laughs> I'm sorry I look like he said, he said, no, unfortunately, I'm the instructor. <laughs> no, it's me. Yeah. Then you try to explain why you're bruised up and why you're scratched up. And, you know, the days where the instructor doesn't get hit anymore, unless you're just one of those guys who, you know, teaches like chi power and you go like that. And you sort of go, oh, and they fall apart because you have the power of suggestion over them. Unless you're one of those jokers, then – Real instructors are going to get in there with their students and they're going to, you know, they're going to get dirty. We're going to fight. We're going to train. I mean, everyone yeah. had to go through me. And I I like fighting. I always did and I always will. So um, when I go back with my guys, I'll roll with everybody. I'll train with everybody <clears throat> and I'll get out there and do what they're doing. Yeah, man. That's the same thing with my instructor, man. Same thing with us. We roll. Anybody who wants to roll, we'll roll with. Yeah, you know, if you if you if this is your first class or your hundredth class, if you want to roll, let's roll, let's work, let's work. You know, I agree, I agree. I mean, the thing is, <clears throat> you know, some people call it disrespectfully ask the instructor to roll, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But as an instructor, you should always be prepared to roll anyway. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, and a lot of guys won't do it because the it's on them to win. I mean, there's no way you're beating me in my school. This is not going to happen. So I will do anything and everything humanly possible to win. And the older you get and the bigger the guys get, new guy comes in. Yeah, I'm 185 pounds, former NCAA wrestling champion, five-time this. I'm like, oh, cool. Can't wait to get on a mat with you. And, of course, they're going to go into into beast mode. And, you know – even though I, I always have that concern, I still say yes. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And let me show you what jiu-jitsu is all about. Let me show you what it's like to feel comfortable on my back. We had a guy come in once, Hungarian judo guy, and his wife came in with him, and she came in, and he's the like European judo champ, Hungarian this. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, I'm not sure what Hungary even is, but whatever. And uh, she built him up. He came in, went on the ground with my guys. And back then I had a square, had a lot of Polish guys and the Polish guys were rough, man. They like to fight. They like to drink and they like to fight. And not one of those guys got taken down by this judo guy. And all of my guys, when they, they were on the ground with him, just destroyed him. He had no ground game at all when it came to judo. So if he couldn't throw you. He had no answer. And, of course, after the match was over and he got beaten up a little bit, his girlfriend, his wife, well, he has really sore. Of course, he got really sore. Really. Of course he does. It's like, you know, it's like before any good boxing, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm going to kick his ass. I'm going to eat his children. I've been training hard for this. He loses the fight. I wasn't really in shape for this fight. I had a couple injuries going into it. I don't want to talk right. about it. Right now I have a ruptured spleen that I was fighting with. But, I mean – it's before the fight and after the fight. Dude, just admit you lost, and the other guy was better that particular day. Losing a fight, and that's a do between jujitsu. I know that a lot of people call quiet dog. A 
lot of people call oh. jujitsu matches fights. Mm-hmm. And no disrespect to any of them, but if I hear yeah, I've won over three, no, you've won 300 jujitsu matches. Some of them may have been MMA fights, but that's it's not a fight. It, 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 it's, it's a match. That's why they call it a judo match. You know, so, um, and which is why, you know, my guys stayed out of it a lot of times. I do, I don't follow it that much as I, as I used to. I'm not watching as many UFCs because I want to watch fighting, not bragging, not talking. I was one of the original guys who started doing um, seminars with MMA fighters. So my first seminar was with like um, Matt Hughes. Wow. He was a tool. I really mean, he was I, a I mean, Dan the B7, one of the nicest guys. We had a great time. Boss Rutten, great time, great sense of humor. Frank Shamrock. Dean Lister has like the sickest sense of humor. So him and I got along really well. He we, we had within 15 minutes, we probably had the most disgusting conversation I've ever had that just went to the bowels of hell so quickly. I knew he was my kind of guy. Chris lights out Lytle. Another great guy, great sense of humor. You know, he's the entire time he's in the UFC, he was a fireman. So we're sitting no, the, no we're sitting on the edge of my boxing ring talking. And I said, um, I hear you're a fireman. He goes, Yeah. I said, Oh man, I love that. He goes, You're fine. I go, No, I'd like to be a pyromaniac. I go, I just love watching shit burn. He goes, Honestly, <laughs> he goes, so do many firemen. I'm like, really? I'd like let it go for a couple of minutes. Like, let's just see where this is going first. I see the blazes. There's a kid, second floor window. Give it a minute. Just give it a minute. <laughs> let her want it. All right? She has to work for this. I mean, come on. So, you know, here you are, a firefighter saving lives, and he has that kind of sense of humor. And, um, you know, I went out to dinner with uh, Dan the B. Severn when he had the, you know, 70s porn mustache. And the mm-hmm. guy is as wide as a trailer. And we couldn't find a decent place to eat. So we went to, like, a posh restaurant that had flowing curtains and the food was all laid out with squiggly lines of crap on it. A huge plate this big with a meal like that big in the middle of it. Cause it's artsy. Right. We sit down and he looks at me, goes, if my wife knew I was here, she's been dying for me to go to a rest. Like this is the restaurant. Most wives would love for you to take them to. And here I am with him and he's with me. So the waiter sashays up and he's like, hi, my name is Fontaine. Will you guys be sharing a meal? Dan looks at me and goes, do I look like I share my meals? <laughs> the guy, the guy like scurries off, like, okay, okay. And I mean, it was literally the worst meal we ever had. It was like, Dan is a huge man and they serve him a meal the size of a chicken McFucking nugget. And he's like, this is dinner? This is not even, this is like a sprig of parsley worth of food. So, right. like, you know, going out with those guys and Rich Franklin, I had him out. I was Rich Franklin's first seminar. You know, and he was just making it out. And I came out to my house in Pennsylvania. He walks in my yard and my dog was 175 pounds, a monster. He comes running up and Franklin almost like poops his pants when the dog ran for me. Oh, my God, what the hell is that? Is that a horse? I'm like, that's my dog. He's like, what, what is that? I said, it's an Anatolian shepherd. They're bred to kill bears. It's like, is he friendly? I'm like, mm. <laughs> to me, <laughs> I would not get in his cage. You know, so I got to have a lot of seminars with the guys back then, and I got to figure out, know, you know, who were really just nice people and who were not. You know, like I said, Matt was not a nice guy. 
You know, like you and I are talking right now. He would just pick up his phone and make a phone call. You know, hey, how's it going? Yeah. And his wife is pregnant at the time. So he's asking his wife on the phone, where are you? Well, what, what room are you in? I'm like, what is this, Beverly Hills 90210? Are we standing by Dylan's locker because he doesn't feel right? Like, what kind of grown-up ask questions like this? And she's answering them. And by the time the seminar had ended, I was, like, really annoyed with the guy's lack of friendliness and just really standoffish. So I'd read on one of the magazines somewhere that his wife was indeed pregnant. They were going to have a baby named it Hannah. Well, Hannah was my dog's name at the time. So I made sure to mention that before he left. And I was like, yeah, it's my dog. Her name is Hannah. He goes, oh. He's like, yeah, my, we're having a baby. And I, really? He's like, I said, you should tell your wife. He goes, I don't think she'd like that. I go, I think she would. That's a good name, Hannah. It's biblical. Hannah. Yeah, it's my dog's name. The one who butt scoots across the floor when he's got his anal gland. That dog, he butt scoots. You know, I know you don't like that, but he was kind of a tool, man. I mean, everybody else was super nice. Some were more professional than others. You know, but I mean, I kind of like that time. And now in MMA, it's kind of, I mean, even in jujitsu too. I look at some of these guys that are in the open professional BJJ league. And all I can say is it's a good thing they don't test for steroids. Man. I've had some of the biggest names on my card back when I had cage. I had one of the first cage grappling championships in New Jersey where we sponsored um, in my school. I had 8,000. We had my own cage. So we did cage grappling submission only. And I had guys like Darry Tonin, who's from New Jersey, and um, Gordon Ryan, who's from New Jersey. And trust me, when I tell you at 16 years old, you know, one looked like a toothpick, and now all of a sudden they're blown out like that. And then you see another picture of them when they're sick and not feeling well in the way, like you did not lose all that weight and muscle from being sick for a month. I mean, right. come on. It's not real. If you and I are going to fight at three o'clock in the afternoon and you're looking at the clock and I'm looking at the clock in high school, there's nothing either one of us can do to make ourselves stronger or better. It's, it's a match. And yet for one person to be juicing like that, it's not fair to the other guy. You stole his ability to have a fair match. That's not honor. That's just, to me, it's not. And look at some of them. I mean, it's so obvious it's incredible. And they'll deny it, deny it, deny it, but... I mean, I've seen who I've seen in person up close before and after, and I work out, I've lifted weights, I've been a trainer, I know what it takes to get that kind of size and what's natural and what isn't, you know, like right. that liver king guy. Yeah, okay, finally he comes clean. The fact that he's on roids, and Joe Rogan called him on it from the beginning. He kept saying no, 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 because it becomes sociopathic. If you say it long enough, you'll start to believe it yourself. But right. when you look down and you see a needle sticking out of your ass, I'm sorry, but that should take your illusion and completely destroy it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't think it's fair. I, I think that they should drug test in that. If you're going to call it a professional sport and it's a combat sport, then you should drug test for it. And watch how quickly oh, yeah. all these other guys wind up falling off. Yeah. Yeah, because I think um... – an article I just I just saw where Golden Ryan was talking about if they start testing uh, in jujitsu, it'll it'll hurt the sport. Well, that's intelligent. It'll hurt the sports. What? This is not WWE wrestling. This is not fantasy. And 
what you're telling me is that, well, I need to go ahead and juice just to get to common, even ground with someone like you. How, right. is that not, how is that not an admission? What about your skill set? What about the fact that jujitsu is a smaller guy can beat a bigger guy? Isn't your technique enough? You brag about your technique. You brag about your, you know, your 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 way of doing things, and you brag about shh, quiet dog, and you brag about how John Danaher has taught you so many things that are very very good for you to learn in your jujitsu. I'd be saying what what. So, what did he just say? Can someone give him a megaphone? Uh, you talk somebody off a roof. Your jujitsu is very good. I'm like, thank you. I can't stand straining to listen to somebody. It's not like I'm so smart and what I'm saying is so intelligent. You should strain to listen to me. It's I'm not really sure what I'm saying. Maybe sometimes and I don't really want anyone to hear. That's why the print is so small on food. They don't want you reading what's in it. And I don't want to know anyway. If it tastes good, I'm going to eat it. So... When people make idiotic state, it's not good for the sport. How about the guy who's not juicing? It's not good for him. What you're saying, it's not good for you in the sport. Right. That's in what you sport. Mean. Exactly. Yeah. It's like when someone tells you something you said doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter to you, and you don't want it to matter to me. But it does. So, yeah. It does. I don't see how I could jump into a ring or a match with somebody that is knowingly doing that and – you bragging about it? You're admitting it? It's kind of like, remember when Ronda Round, Rousey was at the head of her, height of her fame, and she lost her first match. And she's on a talk show telling people that she contemplated suicide. Oh, you're a role model for young girls. I want my daughter to be just like you. You lose one match and your warrior spirit, now you're contemplating suicide. And you're telling young girls this who look up to you. Talk about giving up and quitting. I raised two daughters. I don't want my daughter hearing a woman like that who's empowering young ladies to say something like that on TV. Like that's mm -hmm. what one loss did to you? That's, that's not the right message to send your fans. Hey, how about keeping certain things to yourself? Not everybody wants to hear every little thought cascading through your brain at every moment. And, right. you know, these guys... They've all become keyboard warriors. This one's saying that about that one. That one's saying about this one. He's accusing him of juicing. He's accusing him of greasing. So, like, who's greasing? Who's are some guys greasing and juicing? Those are the guys I want to know. The guys who are doing both. You know, they're slippery and they're slimy at the same time. That's just perfect. That's that's good for the sport. I mean, like I said, he was on my card a few times. And there's no way you pack on that kind of muscle like that. So when I watch, when I watch some of the matches, that's what I envision. I envision someone who's synthetically improving their game, but you're bragging that your game is solid. Then you don't need the extra muscle. You should be able to do it at a – he grappled on my event at 160 pounds, tall, lanky, skinny, good wrestling, um, but – Nothing overly exciting. You know, mm -hmm. Gary Tonin was uh, a nice guy, competitive, tried to jump off the cage and get the guy in a choke. And I didn't know who either one of them was. They're apparently up-and-coming brown belts. Well, when you're already a black belt, you don't really give too much of a crap about up-and-coming brown belts. And I didn't. I don't follow the scene. And it's like, hey, this guy's, a, this guy's got one stripe on his white belt. We're going to be keeping an eye on him. I'm like... I'll just follow the ones who are already successful. I'm not going to watch the ones coming up until they're in there. 
And then you get guys like you that are busting your ass to earn a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu because you're wearing a gi and you see people have never even put a gi on and they're getting a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I mean, That's crazy to me. Brazilian jiu-jitsu is with the gi on. If you want to give someone a black belt in no gi, there's no such thing as no gi BJJ. Call it submission grappling. Call it, I mean, obviously it's no gi because you're not wearing one. So why even say it? Just call it submission grappling. But when these guys are getting black belts, having never even put on a gi or tried the gi, didn't like it like Ryan did. I, I don't know. I didn't like it. It felt too squishy. And the tag in the back bothered me. And the spot where I stick a needle in my ass, the, I felt the way the pants were rubbing up against that. That kind of caused me. You know, they're not going to do it. And therefore, they're getting black belts and moving up in rank. But, like, just here's your black belt. You're never going to wear it, but here it is anyway. It's not my thing. I prefer people to work both, but earn your black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with the Guion or Kimono, whatever you want to call it. That's the sport. You know, right. that's even Krav Maga. Krav Maga, when it first was invented, was a uniform martial art. And the founder had studied karate. Now it's if I wear more tactical stuff, I'll look cooler. Black pants, black boots. I know a guy who taught a course on what to do if a bus is hijacked for a whole weekend. There's never been a bus hijacked in this country ever unless you watch the movie Speed with Keanu Reeves. Other than that, ever. Why are you practicing this stuff? I mean, right. seriously, what do I do if someone parachutes through my window? I'm like, run? Off from coffee? I don't know. You know, the, one of the most realistic accounts was when Anthony Smith talked about some guy breaking in his house and him fighting the guy for literally 20 minutes. You know, I mean, if somebody breaks in your house during the day, it's for greed, money. They're smart. Somebody breaks in at night, it's for need, drugs. They may be super strong. If they're strung out, you can feel or taste what meth feels like on their breath and try to stop people like that from coming at. I hit him five times. He kept coming. Well, that's what meth does to you. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why the German army did the Blitzkrieg, because they were all on meth. They were all on a drug called, it was a Riverton, Riverlin, and, and it was like basically meth. So they had that big, wide-eyed, Aryan look on their face. And the Americans like, oh, my God, these guys look enraged. They just marched for four days in the Blitzkrieg. Well, give me enough meth, and I'll march for four days, too. That's <laughs> <laughs> how build your road while I'm at it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, you're, you're fearless. You have no fear. So therefore, there wasn't like a lot of fear on their part because they're all on drugs. And mm -hmm. look at these MMA guys. I mean, there are more MMA guys now in prison than politicians. Like, they're all going to jail. It's getting to be like football. They should call junior football future wife beaters instead of like junior football. Because the, 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 the level of things you have to take, it's like, there's a great special on Netflix or Prime about Dorian Yates, the former British bodybuilder in Mr. Universe, the mass monster. Mm -hmm. He talks about the roids, talks about weed, talks about all the things that bodybuilders have to go through to get to that point to win a Mr. Olympia. I mean, you're literally destroying your body for that top honor. And some of these guys in jiu-jitsu are doing the same thing unknowingly. They're like, yeah. what, are you, what are you gonna do when you're 40 years old and you're like a cripple? You're gonna talk about back in the day when you're counting out your change at a CVS like that and you have a coupon, but it's for Rite Aid. Oh yeah, this is for Rite Aid. You know, like what's gonna happen to you? I don't think many of them care about it.
They, and, and the other thing too, is they've got such great doctors, I'm sorry, nutritionists who work on their corner, who are recommending what they take, you know, and ingest, you know, like this. Right, and I was like, and yeah. look, look at the UFC. How are people still getting busted for drugs? You know, they're testing, you know, you're getting busted for it. And even some of the greatest guys out there that got busted for it. Look up how many people got busted in the UFC. And I mean, from the great Hoist Gracie who got busted to a lot of others on down the line. To me, mm-hmm. it smears your your reputation a little bit. It does. You know? It does. It, all, de- it definitely puts a stain on it for sure. Yeah. And then they all have excuses. Well, I didn't know it was inside this bottle of Vicks Vapor Rub and there were high levels of, I mean, oh, come on. It's kind of what they're saying is, well, the, the, you know, the U.S. ADA has to prove that I did it. I don't have to prove I didn't. And they find little traces of something. Well, it's because you didn't wean off it fast enough or right. they find it. And you have other guys who, I mean, I know Matt Riddle. Matt Riddle was a great UFC guy, great guy. And they basically drummed him out because he got caught smoking weed a few times. Right. That, did that really enhance his performance in the ring? What did it do? What did he do after he fought? Went home and fought a bag of Doritos on his couch. So they they take the thing that, that makes you sluggish and tired and kick you out of the UFC for that stuff. But you've got guys out there like Mark Hunt who sued the UFC because of Brock Lesnar. They let him bypass the USA, you know, the US Drug Administration stuff, let him fought Mark Hunt, knowing he was on steroids and he hurt. Mark Hunt, why would I want to fight a guy who's got that kind of advantage or even grapple with somebody like that? So exactly. it's a shame that it would, ruin, it would ruin the sport for people that are doing it. But other people would see lightweights and faster, lighter guys winning real championships and not losing because the other guy is just beyond strong and they can't move him around because of it's not natural. Right. Yeah, this, um, you know, from from UFC, from the UFC to all other type of uh, mixed martial arts organizations and jujitsu itself, man, it, it definitely has changed a lot. Um, some for the good, some for the bad. But, yeah, man, it's like you said, it's just, you know, seeing those people who, you know, they, I guess you want to say they pad their success on these drugs and stuff. And then when you find out, like, yeah, they've been taking PDs for the last umpteen years of their career. Yeah, it, it it puts a it's kind of like a slap in the face to like you said people like us who who grind who's who's you know busting their bodies down the the right way to do this sport that they love so much versus the people who's like yeah I'm just gonna take a I'm just gonna take a steroid and get an advantage and call myself the best. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a shame because it really takes. It, it takes the um, the match out of, you know, my opinion, out of the audiences. They don't get to see a genuine match. It's like me going mm-hmm. to watch a concert, and after three songs, the singer says, I'm losing my voice. I can't go. I'm like, oh, you get up there and sing. You oh, you're mix, sing. sing, whatever. It's I don't want to know that stuff. I mean, you know, if I bring my daughter to Disney and I say, hey, stand next to Mickey – I don't care if Mickey's lost his job, strung out on drugs or an alcoholic. When my daughter's holding your hand, just go like that. All I want, wait. So when you do this in jujitsu, I mean, it's still a combat sport. And a combat sport should be clean. No, it's about who the better fighter is, not who is able to just navigate through the rules 
excuse me. Homer, no. Not navigate through the rules. And look at the guy who gets busted for steroids once. Okay, what about the other times you fought that you didn't get caught? I, I have to think that you've been doing it before. So you yeah. said this is the only time you've done it, the time you got caught. TJ Dillashaw on a mean streak, fighting everyone winning. Gets busted for steroids. Two years off, comes back. Does okay, but not great. All right. Mm -hmm. So all the fights you had before you got busted, how many of them were you able to slip in under the radar? Were you able to get it out of your system just before that test? Or if they come knocking on your door? I mean, that's one reason I wouldn't want to be a fighter today. Hey, I don't right. want someone knocking on my door at 2 o'clock. Hey, would you mind pissing in a cup? I'm like, dude, I'm 63. I piss every five minutes. You want to wait? Want <laughs> <laughs> to sit down and have a coffee real quick? <laughs> yeah, when you hear that start and stop, start and stop, that's me trying to fill a cup for you. So, you know, I mean, I understand why they do it, but I I wouldn't want that lifestyle. I, I love to fight. I love to train. Um, but if I had to do that for a living, a lot of these guys also wonder what's going to happen after MMA. As a bodyguard and a bodyguard instructor, a lot of them try to come into my world. They don't want to be in the background. They don't want to have their ego in check. You're not there for you. The less I see of you, the better off I am. And they don't know how to handle verbal diffusion. What happened? Mm -hmm. Well, he shook his hand, so I snapped his neck. Good move. Really good. That's going to look good on, that's gonna look good on the news tonight. You know, why you killed somebody. And you know, look what's going on today. I mean, choking is getting a really bad reputation. Everybody's choking everybody else, you know, from what happened. And people don't get there's three different types of asphyxiation, mechanical, positional, and then bodily. What happened in Minneapolis to George Floyd was a positional asphyxiation, shin. What happened in the subway in New York when the guy grabbed the homeless guy and choked him until he died? I mean, did he, did he, quiet, did he have a weapon? He was yelling out, I want to kill people. He was obviously mentally unhinged. So what made you decide you're going to put him in a chokehold and choke him for 20 minutes? Was he threatening anybody? Now, that guy, of course, people are jumping into his defense and they're putting a GoFundMe page. Dude, you're going to jail. This is New York City. We don't like our homeless, but we don't want anybody else to mess with them either. You mess with one of our homeless, we get it. Sure, we don't want to see them. We don't want them around. But if you fuck with one of them, oh, we're coming after you. You and after, after you. homeless dude. And I don't care if he's a former Marine, blonde hair, blue eyed. There was no reason. Your life was not imminently in danger, and neither was anybody. You weren't saving anybody. You used a choke move. Is that your go-to move? So you have your legs around him. I could have put him in seatbelt. And not put any pressure on his neck or anything and held him there. But no, you put your hands around his neck for 20 minutes. That's what you learned in the Marine Corps. So while you're doing that in the Marine Corps on the ground with some enemy guy, everyone's just running around you, doing all kinds of shooting and stuff. And you're on the ground choking a guy for 20 minutes. I, you know, that can't be everyone's go-to move. You can't do it. Why are these guys, I see guys online bragging, here's one of my, you know, nine-year-old kids in my jiu-jitsu class fighting against a school bully, he got him in a chokehold. That's what you're teaching all these nine-year-olds, to choke everybody. That's right. a life-ender. If I have you in an arm bar, you can tap. The worst thing I can do is dislocate your shoulder or your elbow. But chokes, if you think about it, if you and I are in class together and we're training and I'm grappling and I put a choke on you, 
The only reason I'm letting go is not because you're tapping, it's because I want to. Right. Let's just say I have one of those days. I had a really, I'm having a bad day. I'm not a bad dude. I had a bad day. My wife left me this, this, this. And next thing you know, I'm choking you and I'm, I'm leaving it on way too long. I mean, every time we roll with somebody and we involve the use of chokes, we are putting our lives in their hands. Right. Like that airline pilot who decided to fly his plane full of people on the side of a mountain. Okay. Other than that incident, he had a good record, but there's something going on in his life. So I don't encourage little kids or my young adult, even my grownups, stay away from people's necks. Seatbelt, get them down. Let them put one hand down to break their own fall. You just can't grab everybody by the neck. And it's happening way too much because a lot of these jujitsu guys are using that as the one go-to move. When in doubt, right. choke them out. When in doubt, right. choke them out. That's great. Then what are you going to do? You're going to hit me that line about being carried by 12 you know, jury members or whatever that crap. That's great to that steel door slam shut on you. You know, when you go to your refrigerator at 2 o'clock, you want something to drink, none of that's happening anymore. That's anymore. No. I used to train law enforcement officers that actually worked in jails, including cert teams, the guys who went in with the tortoise shells. And I value my freedom way too much to make a mistake like that and put my hands on somebody's neck. You learn a zillion jujitsu techniques, yet that's always your go-to move in a real situation. Right. And, 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 and the crazy... And the crazy part about that is you can still restrain someone if you got them in that position. You don't have to hold them tight. Great point. Just give yeah. what what have you been told your whole career? Posi position before submission. Okay, so before submission. What, what do they mean by position? Controlling position. Controlling You're the controlling position. Controlling their body. So if I'm controlling their body, I don't necessarily have to choke them out and put them unconscious. I understand you're going to try to get out of the move. You know, there's a there's a video years ago of Matt Sarah mounting. Matt Sarah, yeah. And the guy's like, I'll kill you. And Matt, I got the mount. He was law enforcement. And Matt said, do you have him? When you take control of him, I'm letting him go. I would do the same thing. There's ways you can put people in positions where you don't have to go against their neck. And as soon as you right. do, that second when you realize you've gone too far, that oh shit moment. Now you, you, you're really in trouble. And this guy, I don't know when the trial is going to start, but this is New York City. You can't get away with that stuff in New York City. It's not a stand-your-ground state. Homeless guy on a, on, a, on a train is flailing his arm saying, I want to die. And how do you look at that as threatening? Nobody else grabbed him. Why were you the one? So New York you is going to be, you to be a hero. They're going to go after him, and the prosecutor's going to have a field day with him. And all the people that want to throw money at him, you're just throwing your money away. You know, I mean, you, have that, you have that moment of where you have to do something you feel you have to, but you've got to ask those questions beforehand. Is my life in danger? Is other people's lives in danger? Is it imminent? Like when Bernard Getz was on a plane and four people approached him with a sharpened screwdriver and asked him, did you have any money? He shot two of them, but he still went to jail. He did a couple of years for that because he shot. I mean, you know, it was a difficult case, but why why put yourself in that position? If you're that good of a martial artist, you're a good BJJ guy, you should be able to handle somebody without choking them. 
I'd much rather get him in a position and humiliate him, give him a noogie, give him a little wedgie, maybe steal his wallet, make some phone calls with his phone while I'm keeping in my, my guard or something like that, you know, but I'm not going. And I had to tell my students that my chokes were, I love choking people. I do. I think it's a great move. I think it's definitely a conversation ender. Having said that, and looking at the current way that society is looking at it, you have to change then. You just yeah. do it. It's not, it just doesn't have the appeal it used to have for everybody, especially the guy being choked. And anytime it happens, they're going to throw anything and everything at you. So, yeah. you know, guaranteed there's going to be potential of this being either manslaughter it depends if they go against him and they start going down the lines of a hate crime or something else that they can easily go after and he's got a big problem he just should have just stepped back and done nothing nobody was I'm getting just stayed out of it just stayed out of it yeah i mean nobody was getting hurt that's the thing i mean you've been i'm sure you've been in detroit like there's not enough crazy people yelling and screaming in the street all the time new york every five minutes you see someone screaming and saying something I mean, I just got a card from a guy in a parking lot yesterday that said Jesus Savior on his card. That's all it said. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think I'm being catfish. It didn't look like the pictures I've seen of Jesus. I'm almost <laughs> sure. But, I mean, you know, people are preaching. People are pontificating. People are just screaming crap out. Just walk past them. I'm yeah. sure cars, but I'll be in. That, things like that I follow. I follow Anything where somebody is using force, I follow those cases very closely to see what the outcome is going to be so I can relay this to my students and remind them that all force has to be justifiable, you yeah. know, including jujitsu. So you know, something to think about when someone's working a choke on you in class, like, man, I just hope he's in a good mood. I never, I hope, like, I hope, I hope no one pissed him off. But yeah, that's crazy, though. That's very crazy. Yeah, and would I? I wouldn't want to roll with a guy who's got roid rage. No, I would not want no. to grapple with someone who could snap like a breadstick at any second. So yeah, I prefer to grapple with people that are on even ground with me. If your jujitsu is better than mine, then you'll beat me. That's it. That's yeah. it. Cool. All right, Richard. So uh, we got a staple here on um, Talk Your Jits podcast. I mean, you've been around for a long time. You know, name some names. Uh, some very you know high-level names, but if there is three people, past or present, that you still would love to roll with? To roll with? Um, yeah. Hmm. Roll with. I mean, I think I'd like to roll, not any particular, like a really, really high-level guy that's got all the tricks in the book, just to see how I would do against them. I don't follow the sport, um, the, the the competition sport, as much as I used to. But, you know, there were guys that, um, you know, I was with um, Professor Marrera at Gracie Baja Fort Lauderdale, which is run by Cafe um, and, you know, MMA fighter and everything. And uh, Professor Marrera was showing the was in the guy's guard and he had both his hands on the floor. And of course, the guy sat up and went for the Kimura and Joe passed his guard right away as soon as he turned his back. So watching those guys being told their entire career to put their hands on the man, not the mat. And you've got this guy putting his hands on the mat, not the man. 
and watching their reaction to what he did to them once it was beautiful to see. So, I mean, I would always like to roll with Professor Marrera because it's just, it's humiliating, but at the same time, it's, it's eye opening. Um, I was able to roll with Matt Hughes when he came out. Um, I was not impressed with his super strength that people talked about. We rolled, you know, he was in my guard. He tried to get out a few times. So I was, I was not overly impressed with him. Um, and I got to roll and Jojo Guarin roll with Matt Hughes and Matt Hughes could not pass Jojo's guard. You can tell he was getting pissed. Mm. And then Jojo rolled with Rich Franklin, who at the time was a brown belt under uh, Fabio Grigel and uh, George Grigel and uh, Jojo tapped him uh, both at brown belt and Rich Franklin could not leave my building till they rolled again. And Rich was in incredible shape. So he just rolled with Jojo until Jojo got exhausted and he got his tap. But um, I've rolled with some pretty good guys. And I was, to be honest, surprised that they were not as good as I thought they were. And Matt Hughes was one of them. Um, I don't know. I guess I'd like to roll with, uh, with maybe one of the former UFC, like the beginning guys. Like, how would I do against someone like a Hoist Gracie? Because him and I are about the same age. Maybe I'm a little bit older. Someone like that, I guess. But not any sort of malice or animosity just to see how i would do yeah Nothing just to see how you just see how yeah. you hold up yeah yeah and uh i mean some of the other people i mean dan the b severn i got to train a little bit with him i showed him a really cool submission a leg lock from the mount that he absolutely loved he's like i'm gonna show this tomorrow i'm like and tell people you're learning you go, yeah okay whatever I'm like, <laughs> no. I'm like all right that's nice um but yeah that's that's about it i think you know there's no one at, at the highest levels. I mean, I would definitely want to roll against either Elon Musk or uh, Zuckerberg because I think they're both idiots. Again, it's not enough you're freaking billionaires. You have to come into our lane too now. Yeah. Uh, you go with Zuckerberg and his hydroplaning surfboard. Now all of a sudden it's MMA. Now all of a sudden it's he wants to be an airline pilot. Dude, just just spend your money. I mean – Last thing I want to see is Elon Musk versus Mark Zuckerberg in a match. I mean, they'll sell the crap out of it, but I wouldn't really want to see that. It just no. doesn't impress me. You know, fortunately in my career, I got to train with the greatest stand-up guys out there. Joe Lewis, who is the greatest heavyweight kickboxer of all time. Bill Superfoot Wallace, who is the most famous kicker of all time. And I got to train with all the best stand-up guys and spar with them and and work with them, including the Muay Thai guys. So, um, you know, I think I've I've lived just about all my martial arts dreams I really want to. Yeah, I, I see that. I see that. <laughs> and I was able to transfer it into other careers like executive protection, like bodyguard work. And I started out in the beginning by training. I mean, my first client out of service was a guy named Joey Robinson Jr., and Joey Robinson Jr. was the owner of Sugar Hill Records, which is where the Sugar Hill Gang came from, and Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. So mm -hmm. when they were doing Rapper's Delight, I was doing their security and getting to hang out in the studio, watching these guys practice and travel all these really early rap bands into New York and do the security and meet some of the beginning people in like the hip hop community. Because I kind of feel like I'm Forrest Gump. I've been around a lot of different things that happened 
you know, like I've been here like that, which that movie proves if you're an idiot, you can meet four presidents. So I met maybe one president, but I got to meet people and train, you know, all these guys in the entertainment industry. Um, and that was kind of fun, training people um, who are or celebrities in an upcoming emerging market that nobody even knew where it was going to go back then. But it was so cool to be around, you know, those guys. And it was good. We had a lot of time, a lot of time making fun of each other, teasing each other when anybody could say anything. And it was all cool. You know, kind of like when I was in the service. I mean, it was just great that we just had so much camaraderie that we could say anything to each other teasingly, lovingly, and no one cared. It didn't matter. I'd come back. Some guy would come back from leave. Hey, how was leave? Good, man. It was great. By the way, tell your mom I left my underwear at the house. I'm like, oh, cool. And by the way, while you were gone, I made sure and kept your mother's water dish full. So she's had enough to drink. And it was like, F you. <laughs> no one took anything personally. It was great. Yeah. yeah. Now everyone's ready to fight over everything. I mean, politics, you name it. It's amazing how many people are willing to throw down and just argue over things. Just You make your point, I make my point, and that's it. Then we walk away. Let's, let's everybody go home, right? Home safely. Yeah, exactly. Right. The only way you're going to change my opinion is with a fact. Present the yeah. fact, and I'll say, you're right. Wow, you're right. Good for you, man. You changed my mind. But until then, you believe what you believe. I'll believe what I believe, and let's all get along. Yeah, that's all. All right, Richard, unless you got anything, um, any questions for me, um, if you got anything coming up for you, your school, um, or anything else, man, the floor is all yours. No, I think I'm good. Um, I'd like to come on again sometime and uh, yeah, show you a couple of things I am working on. I do have a product out there that I came up with, which is going to be helping kids um, on the autism spectrum and kids with disabilities be able to do jujitsu. Nice. It's a, it's a uniform that has colors on it, two circles, squares on the sleeves, and triangles on the pants. So I could say, you know, left square to pink this, almost like playing a game of Twister. So That's it's a awesome. new uniform is designed because nobody really wants kids that are on the spectrum because they become a pain in the neck in class and they can't handle them. But if you had a specific class for them and people on the spectrum, ASD, Asperger's, are attracted to colors and shapes. So mm -hmm. I actually put them on a uniform and it's called a Skillgee. So people go to skillgee.com, www.skillgee, S-K-I-L-L-G-I.com. And the other thing is, you know, I, I offer programs like senior safe programs and things like that. So any schools looking to train people. I've also offered marketing ideas for people in Professor Marrera's network. You know, I do all my own videos. I went to video editing school. I like taking your school and making it look unique with a video that really shows what you're all about and not mm -hmm. that you're just like everybody else. So there's a lot going on, but it'll take a whole nother session. Yeah. We definitely have to bring you back, man. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Me too. Likewise. All right, man. That's the end of today's episode. I would love to thank uh, Richard one more time for coming on the show and bless us with his jujitsu knowledge. I hope you guys learn from our experiences. Uh, please go and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube page to stay updated on all future episodes. This has been Talk Your Jits Podcast. Keep rolling, keep grinding, and remember, long live jujitsu. Have a great day.
Bye, guys. Thank you.